Well, we're not going to talk about marriage today. We've had different sermon series, and we'll look at that again at other times. But that same principle applies to the scripture we're going to look at today because human behavior is predictable. And I think if you've been married, you would agree that it, it really is a matter of if, not or excuse me, it is a matter of when, not if. Uh, when two people bring their lives together, it's, there's going to be some challenges. And so it is that there's other human behavior that's just simply predictable. Well, God's people were getting ready to cross the Jordan River into the promised land. And Moses came to them and gave them the law a second time. It's the same law, but he reviewed it. That's why the book of Deuteronomy, which records that second law, is called the second law. Dudo means second. So, or, and, and that's what this book is about. He came to remind them of why they needed to follow God's ways. And one of the reasons they needed to follow God's ways is because human behavior is predictable. Last week, uh, we noted that Moses told them, when you get a king, that was 400 years before that happened, when you get a king, these are the things he's going to do. Now we go to Deuteronomy chapter 30, and we come to a part of the portion, uh, excuse me, the portion of the scripture in which Moses had already established that God had set before the people a blessing and a curse. And they were able to choose. And if their lives, and we know this from the history books, their lives were a lot like my life and your life. Sometimes we, we pick the blessings of the Lord. Sometimes we pick the curses of the Lord. So now we go to chapter, one, excuse, chapter 30, verse 1, and the scripture goes this way. And when all these things come upon you, there's a sense of inevitability here. And when all this, these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse, which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice in all that I command you today with all your heart and with all your soul, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes. And have compassion on you. And he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. The title of this talk today is Restore. And I want to talk to you about God's plan to restore things in your life that the enemy has stolen or that you have forfeited or whatever curse that you might have chosen because you haven't chosen God's ways. But as, as everything in life, practically everything we go through, there's a process before we get to the restoration. And we're gonna talk about uh, the process that I see in this scripture, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses one through three. In college, I played football for this really small college. It's so small, none of you have ever heard of it in here. Uh, but it was, it was a school that I played for and I didn't have enough speed and athletic talent to play for a big, a big school. So, we had a great time, but the discipline and our team started getting lax. And our coach came to the team one time and he was very irritated. And he said, here's the deal, guys. He said, we're having a practice in the morning that starts at 6 a.m. And when I blow the whistle at 6 a.m., if you're not there, you're off the team. Now, when I heard the speech, I thought it was a great speech. Because of my lack of athletic ability, 
And this was demonstrated last weekend on the men's rafting trip when we decided to play touch football. And, and the guys who played, they could, they could see that I, I was lacking the speed and athletic ability. So because of that, I was always on time to every practice and every film session. And I had to make sure everything was in line because I could not ride simply athletic ability. So when he said, we have a practice in the morning at 6 a.m. And if you're not there, you're off the team. I thought, finally. Finally, these slackers are going to get what they deserve. And so I, I, I thought the plan was great. So the next morning, uh, I roll over in bed, ready for practice, and I look at the clock, and it says 6.22. And that was the most devastating feeling in my young life at that time. I mean, just that, oh, my goodness. It was like that clock came out and slapped me in the face and hit me in the gut and I went straight to the coach's office and he was gracious and made me run a whole bunch and let me stay on the team, which there's probably a whole lesson about grace in that whole deal. But I share that story with you to evoke an emotion. Uh, and you, you've had this emotion before when, when you've discovered data or information that it's like a slap in the face. It's like, a, it's like being hit in the gut. You, you just realize in, in an instant you come to yourself and say, I cannot believe that I've overlooked this. It could be a situation where uh, there's been a problem and, and you haven't understood the root of the problem. And out of nowhere, that idea comes and you don't understand how you've missed it this whole time. In my case, it could be an awareness that you've overslept. As you begin to reflect in your life, you've had those moments. I've had lots of those where information just overtakes you. And you recognize and you realize, man, I'm in the wrong spot. Let's go back to verse 1 of Deuteronomy chapter 30 because this is what I get from this scripture. It says, and when all these things come upon you, this predictable behavior, the blessing and the curse, which I've set before you, and you call them to mind. Now Moses is saying to them, there's going to come a time where you're going to come to your senses. There's going to come a time when it's going to hit you and you're going to recall that God has chosen, or God has presented a blessing, and God has presented a curse, and you've chosen the curse. The first part of this process, and you'll see it in your notes, is this, is to recognize. If God's going to restore things to you, the first thing you have to do is recognize. Recognize your error. Recognize your bad choices. Recognize that most of, of human behavior is a direct result of wrong choices we've made. That's a very hard thing for us to accept because we are programmed uh, to always blame somebody else. We're, we're, we, are, uh, we are conditioned to always look for an excuse and to deflect blame. And even the way we're educated, uh, we're educated to think that inherently we're good. And, and just if we made a bad choice, it couldn't be because we're bad, because we're good people. And... And this is just someone else's fault. It's our, it's our environment or it's, it's something someone's done to us. And I know there's an exception to every rule, but by and large, most of human behavior is a result of our bad choices. And when we recognize that, even though it's hard to recognize that, it positions us for God to do work in us. And when we begin to agree with God that what he said is sin is sin. And I want you to think about this in your life. 
What are you negotiating with God right now? Because some of us are in a negotiation with God where he has determined something in our life as a sin and we're trying to convince God otherwise. I mean, just even saying that, doesn't that seem silly? We're negotiating with God and we're trying to excuse our behavior or excuse our choice or justify what we do and we are not recognizing that God in his holiness, God in his wisdom, what he calls sin is sin. And what he calls sin for our life is sin. And the Holy Spirit's at work in our life. Now, in the book of Isaiah, God's people were very religious. They observed festivals. And they were very careful about the dates that were chosen. And they did all the stuff on the outside they were supposed to do. But God confronted them about their sin at the beginning of Isaiah chapter 1. And the setting of that is like a courtroom. It's like God has set up a courtroom and he has said, you are guilty. You are guilty. That's how Isaiah chapter 1 starts. He says, you are guilty. You you have not taken care of the poor. You have not taken care of the widows. You have not shown justice. You are guilty. And there's this, this moment, just like when I looked at my alarm clock and went, I am late. I'm off the team. I lost my scholarship. You know, there's a point where when we face a holy God, we have to recognize, man, I have chosen the curse. I have made the wrong decision. And so that is a context. If you can imagine a courtroom when God has said guilty, God has said this is a sin, God has said this is wrong. And that's the beginning of Isaiah chapter 1. But now we go to to verse 16 of Isaiah 1 and read these beautiful words together. It says it this way. Come, it says wash yourself, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil. Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Verse 18, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. This is a beautiful word. I'll pause here to give some commentary. This is a legal term where he says, come, let us reason. This isn't reason like you and I imagine. As if uh, we're going to meet God at Starbucks over coffee and go over the negotiation terms here and, and to have a plea bargain and try to see, God, does this work out okay for you because these are the conditions of my repentance? No, that's not how it works. It's a legal term saying, come, let us reason. Come, uh, God's saying, let us agree about what I've called sin. That's what God said. God, earlier, God said, this is sin. Now he says, come, let us reason together. Let us legally agree that your sin is sin. And this is where our God is so beautiful and so wonderful because he points out the sin, but he doesn't just point out the sin without providing a path for repentance and restoration. He says, come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Scarlet was uh, the, the most permanent of dye in the ancient world. It was uh, a dye that could never be eradicated. If a piece of cloth, it was scarlet, the stain could never quite get out. So he's using here an image and he's saying, though your sin is like the stain that can never get out. Though your sin is impossible to erase. And then he uses this beautiful metaphor, they shall be as white as snow, meaning it shall be 
the purest that you can imagine. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. You see, you never see the need for God's grace, forgiveness, righteousness, holiness, forgiveness until you recognize that your sins are like scarlet. Quit blaming others. Quit blaming God. Quit making excuses. Instead say, I have chosen the curse and I have chosen the sin. And God said, now come, let's agree upon that. Let's, let's reason together. Let's agree what I call sin to sin. And now, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. And moving on, the scripture says, if you are willing and obedient, here's the restoration part, you shall eat the good of the land. But here's the contrast. If you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. There we see what God, again, continues to lay this choice before us. He wants to restore us. Let's go back to verse 19 of Isaiah 1, and you'll see the the outcome God wants. If you're willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. I mean, that's what God has for us. He has the good of the land. He wants us to, to enjoy all the best things he has for us, but that starts with agreeing with God about our sin. And saying, God, your ways are higher, your ways are better. Because you're a holy God, I am going to recognize the sin of my life. Well, we see this picture of God's love all through the Bible. God, in his wrath, remembers mercy. He comes and he confronts the people about the sin. Because he loves people. In his holiness, he confronts sin. And then he makes a way for the people to be redeemed. He makes a way for the people to be forgiven. And Jesus told the story that is one of the most beautiful stories in literature. We know it as a prodigal son, the lost son. And I want us to read it together today. But you very likely know the outcome. But don't check out. Read the words with me because I can't think of a better way to explain the heart of God than the the words of the prodigal son. So in Luke chapter 15, uh, starting with verse 11, And we'll read this. It says, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About that time, his money ran out. A great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him. And the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. And the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. In verse 17, when he finally came to his senses, this is recognize. He he finally came to his senses. It was like the alarm clock at 622. It was the information I didn't realize. It was, oh my goodness, I'm just hitting that. I came to my senses. He said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. And I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. And so he returned home to his father And now we see the heart of God. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming and filled with love and compassion, 
he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Here we see that the, the lost son came to his senses right in the middle of a pig pen. And he recognized, he recognized that he was in the wrong place. And here's the second thing he did, and it's in your notes. He returned. We cannot return to God until we recognize our sin and return right back to the Lord. And that's God's heart. You know, God wants to restore things to you, and we're going to get to that. But the reason he can never restore anything to you until you recognize your sin, recognize your participation, and return to the Lord. Now, the people of God, uh, and we're going to talk about the southern kingdom, Judah, the southern kingdom. If you read the Old Testament, uh, they had this trend where they would follow the Lord, and then they would worship idols. And then they would get real serious about the law of the Lord, and then they would start intermarrying other, other people who didn't follow God, which was against his ways. And then they'd have a good king, and then they'd have a bad king. And then they would repent, and then they'd turn back to God. It's this cycle of up and down, up and down, up and down. Seems familiar, doesn't it? That, that is, unfortunately, sinful nature. You get into God, out of God. Get involved in church, lay off for a while. And, and that was the trend. In fact, the southern kingdom, Judah which was this, the, the, the people of God, God's chosen people, had 19 kings, and eight of them were considered good. So most of their kings were down here in the valley, and then they'd get a good king and come back up, and then come back down again. And it was this cycle. And if we could try, it's dangerous to do this, but if we would try to put ourselves in God's shoes, or at least empathize with God's feelings, uh, that would be very frustrating, to have a people that you've chosen and said, I want to I reveal myself to the world with this people, and they're doing up and down, up and down, up and down. And so the book of Joel is in this process. The, the, Joel has a word for God's people who have gone up and they've gone down, up and gone down. And in Joel chapter 2, verse 12, he says it this way. Yet even now, declares the Lord, Return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. And rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he relents over disaster. Up and down. Follow God, not follow God. Here we, we're, 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 we're totally behind the Lord now we're seeking other idols. And now, Joel 2.12, he says, but even now, declares the Lord, even though you've done that, even though you've been inconsistent, even though you've been unfaithful, even though you don't deserve it, even though I should be irritated at you, even though my love should be exhausted, even now, declares the Lord, if you return to me with all your heart, you're gonna be restored. Even now, declares the Lord, that that's going to happen. This was in the context of all in in Joel chapter one, God talked about the locusts who were gonna come. The locusts who were gonna come to destroy. And evidently, locusts had come uh, on a regular basis through the years. And, and this could just be exhausting. This would totally deplete the land. When a swarm of locusts would come through and eat all the vegetation and all of the economic development it would suppress. You want to talk about a recession or a depression? You have a swarm of locusts come in that will wipe out the ancient society. 
And evidently, the context of the book of Joel, this had happened several different times. More recently, in 1899, in the same area that, that we're discussing here, there was a swarm of locusts that came through that were 2,000 square miles of locusts. And they came through and devastated everything. It was something that had incredible, incredible uh, ramifications for God's people. So this was the context. Now God said all through chapter one, the locusts are gonna come and it's gonna come in the form of, ar- of an army, an army that's gonna oppress you. And you've been up and you've been down and you've been back and you've been forth. But Joel chapter two, verse 12, let's go there again. It says, but even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. Go on to the next slide. It says, and rend your hearts and not your garments. What's that talking about? Well, when people would repent in the ancient days, this is, we know this culturally, we know this from many, many examples in the Bible. They would rip their clothes. They would rip their robe. And they said, I repent. I'm gonna rip my robe. Well, you know what God said through the prophet Joel? He says, return to me and rend your hearts, not your garments. In other words, don't just give me an outward show. Don't just act like you're gonna repent so that, Everyone else thinks you're repenting. Instead, repent in your heart. Repent from right here. Repent from that place. And then that's how you return. Return to the Lord your God. And there we get the description of our God that we found in Luke 15. For he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in love. That's who our God is. And so we'll return to him. You know, as I was reflecting on this message, there have been several times in my life, I counted four to five times, I won't bore you with the details of this, but when I have tried to return uh, to a situation I had been in previously, because I'm a sentimental person and I have a hard time letting go of relationships. So there were several different instances in my life when I tried to return to a situation and it just wasn't the same as it was before. And it lets you know of a principle that you have in life. That once you've lost time and once you've lost opportunity, you can never get it back again. When you lose time and when you lose opportunity, there's just no way to get it back. And that is true. In life, the life cycle, we discover that and we know that. But it's not necessarily true when it comes to spiritual things. Because we have a God who is supernatural. We have a God who, who can do the impossible. It's impossible for, God, for you to restore, restore the years you've lost. It's impossible for you to restore the opportunity you lost uh, through natural means. But with God, you can. That's why the last thing I want us to observe today is when we recognize our sin is sin. And when we return to the Lord, here's the good news, is God is going to restore God is going to restore to us. God's going to restore to us what we have lost. Now, I cannot, I cannot begin to describe how it's going to happen. And I know right now some of you are beginning to imagine in your mind. You're trying to imagine something being restored. And I cannot guarantee that what you are imagining will happen. That God will restore it in the exact way that you're imagining right now. But I can do this. I can guarantee you that God has a character. And our God is the only one who can forgive our sins. Our God is, is always making a way for us. And he has a plan for us. And he's the same God that 
has caused us to return to him is the same God who wants to restore things to you. Our initial scripture out of Deuteronomy chapter 30, we'll look at verse 3. Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 3, it says, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you. That's the incredible thing about God. When you agree with God about your sin and then you return to God with all your heart, not just with religion, but you render your heart not just your robe. And you come to God and you repent. Our God is able to restore the years that, that, that the enemy has stolen. That's why one of the most important scriptures in the Bible that's so important to my prayer life and projecting to my future is this. And it's found in the book of Joel. Joel 2.25. And it says it this way. It says, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, and it goes on to describe this guy, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, and then also my great army, which I sent among you. Listen to that promise from God. I will restore to you the years the swarming locust has eaten. Other versions say, I will repay you the years the locusts have eaten. Listen, there have been bad choices you've made. You've chosen the curse. Sometimes the ramifications of other people's bad choices and they've chosen the curse. And because of that, it's messed up your life and that's lost time and lost opportunity. And yes, in the natural, we cannot make up for that loss. We cannot turn back the clock. But we know this is we serve a God who is restoring all things and restoring all things unto himself. And whatever you're imagining, I can't guarantee you that it's going to turn out that way. But I can guarantee you that there's a God whose character is known and whose love is revealed. There's a God who saw you returning and he saw you coming down the dusty pathway back home where you belong. And he got up and he ran to you and he kissed you and he loved you and he restored you to the place you were before. I don't know how he's going to do it. I don't know when he's going to do it, but I know that he's faithful to restore unto you and to repay the years the locusts have eaten. He's going to come and he's going to make up for the lost time. Our God, a, a day is like a thousand years to us. A day in God's timeline is like a thousand years to us. And he can make up the time, but you have to believe and you have to be faithful and you got to let him lead you. You can't lead God. That's what we try to do sometimes. We try to tell God, okay, God, this is the way I want it to happen. And this is what you need to do, God. And God, if you're faithful, you prove yourself by doing it the exact way I'm saying right now. That's not faith. That's presumption. That's trying to manipulate God. Instead, we trust a God who has character. We trust a God who's proven to be faithful. We trust a God who has our interests in mind and he cares more about our future than we care about our future. And we know that this same God that we have recognized that he has called the things in our lives and we've agreed with him and now we've returned to him. He is going to restore our fortunes again. He's gonna repay the years the locusts have eaten. He's gonna come to the place where there's been year and year after devastation and he's gonna make up for lost time. He is faithful to do it. That's who our God is. And he's here today for, for you. And he's here to work in you. I'm gonna ask that our ushers begin to position themselves because we have an incredible way to return to God today. We're gonna to return to God symbolized in a few minutes by eating the bread and drinking the cup. And what a way, what a way to return to him. You know, the Bible's clear that we should not take 
communion in an unworthy manner. Meaning this is that this is a special time, it's a serious time. I take communion almost every Sunday. And when I do, I repent and I say, Lord, forgive me of a sin. And if there's a sin I know about, I ask him. If there's a sin that I don't realize, I'll ask him to make that known to me. That's why David's saying, search me, oh God. Look into my heart, see if there's any wicked way within me. Some of you might be thinking, okay, I'm doing pretty good right now. I feel pretty good. But as we reflect these next few minutes and you prepare your hearts, ask God to search you and he's gonna put a spotlight into your heart and there could be some dark corners that you just need to repent of a wrong attitude. You need to repent of hurtful language you've been using. You need to repent of selfishness. And it's a good thing. It's a good thing because our God's gonna restore those things. So he's not pointing them out to make you feel bad. He's exposing them and putting light on them to lead you to repentance, to lead you to return to him, to restore the place you had with him before. And God wants to do that today. For a few of you today, this is gonna be a very significant day. The Holy Spirit is working on you right now. You're feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit and and he's working on your heart. And here in a few minutes before we pray, I'm gonna be talking to you specifically and we're gonna have a chance to get things right with God today. Get things right with this God. His character has been made known to us today. I mean, from, from Deuteronomy to Isaiah to Joel to Luke, the character is really clear. The same God says, this is wrong. Now here's a way to get right. He loves you so much. He'll say, this is not according to my will. Now this is according to my will. You recognize your sin, return to him, and I'm gonna restore all good things to you. That's the message of the Lord for you. As God leads us in some worship, hold your bread, hold your cup, reflect, think, and then I'm gonna come back and lead us in some prayer before we take communion together.